many ways, we are slaves to fashion. I remember as a kid when my parents bought avocado-colored kitchen appliances and they painted the kitchen orange. It was very fashionable. Now, well, not so much. A few years ago, I became suddenly fashionable when everyone else started wearing cardigans. For a little while, I was actually stylish, but that didn't last long. It never does. I'm James Dykstra, and today, on History.ICU, we're looking at the strange world of fashion. Lately, women have been wearing their hair with green, blue, purple, or pink streaks in it. Tattoos are suddenly quite popular. A few years ago, neither of these was to be seen in respectable society. How long will these fashions last? We shall see. Our obsession with fashion is not a new thing. We've probably all heard about, though maybe ignored, the rule that you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day. While it's a bit arbitrary, there does seem to be some sense to it. When do you wear white, one of the coolest colors? Well, in the nice hot summer on holidays, which is typically before Labor Day. In the 1920s, they took fashion seriously. From September to May, you wore a felt fedora hat. From May to September, you could switch that hat for a straw one. However, you couldn't switch the fedora to a straw hat before May 16, and you took some serious abuse if you wore it after September 15. How did those dates come to be chosen? No one is quite sure. They were arbitrary, but they were observed quite strictly. There are stories that stockbrokers who wore their hats to the stock exchange on September 16 would have them snatched by their fellow traders and stomped into the floor. It seems a rude way to enforce an arbitrary fashion standard, but at least it was understood and was done by people you knew. What is perhaps a bit odder what is that if you were wearing a straw hat after September 15, passing teenagers were likely to knock it off your head and stomp on it. The behavior was peculiar, but in time it came to be expected. You could plan on it, and if you valued your straw hat, you simply had to put it away after the 15th. In a way, this wasn't quite as strange as it seems. Hat manufacturers worked hard to sell hats. So if you destroyed your summer hat, in a hat-wearing culture, you needed a new one come spring. That worked well if you were in the hat-making business. Fans of baseball's Red Sox, Yankees, and Cubs all seem to have had a tradition of tossing their hats out in games in early September. It's not completely clear why, but it seems that it might have been a celebration of the end of summer or the beginning of fall. Happy occasions such as Babe Ruth's 50th home run of the season were also celebrated with loud cheering and hat tossing and smashing. Superstitious ballplayers were known to smash hats. The 1927 Yankees were shut out one game and became convinced that their hats had something to do with it. On the train ride back home, they all smashed their hats. As odd as some of this behavior may seem to us all these decades later, things became seriously weird in 1922. On September 13, days early, youth started knocking the hats off of men walking down the streets. Some of these teens, with a poor sense of time, reportedly started knocking hats off of men in the dockyard area. This predictably led to fights with large brawls breaking out and the police being called in. It was noted that some of the most serious hat destruction seemed to happen in the neighborhood of 
hat stores. Though hat merchants profited from the destruction, no one was ever able to positively connect them to the hat-smashing rowdies. Some of the teens, generally between 12 and 16 years old, seemed to enjoy their sport so much that they started getting poles to knock off people's hats at a distance. A few noticed that pointier sticks knocked hats off much easier, and some started attaching sharp objects to their poles. This resulted in several men not only losing their hats, but getting large gashes in their scalps. The police broke up the disturbances as best they could. Since many of the guilty parties were minors, their parents were sent for, and there are accounts that the youths were often spanked right there in the police station. A handful of the rowdies actually had to face up to a judge who defended the right of a man to wear a straw hat any time he wants, even if that is in the dead of winter. Magistrate Peter Hatting, seriously, sent a handful of the adult offenders to prison. You would think that three days of riots would have been the end of the silliness, but it wasn't quite. This went on as an annual event for a few more years, with one man even getting killed in 1924 when he turned on his tormentors. As often happens today, change came when an acknowledged leader dared to buck the trend. On September 18, 1925, three days after the hat ban went into effect, President Calvin Coolidge appeared in public wearing a straw hat. Though the New York Times mocked him for his fashion faux pas, it seems to have been what was needed to deflate the annual hat riots. And President Coolidge, you really need to take your hat off to him. (laughs) 